The following program is a part of the Movie Morgue Network. I've already been dead for such a very, very long time. But I've come back to bring you news of the most gruesome twosome ever produced. Welcome to the latest episode of the Bitter Bastard Nerdcast. This is our first episode of the new year, and we have a lot to talk about. I have to apologize for the delay, but as I've mentioned in the past, we do this show in Northern California, and we were smack dab right in the middle of the wildfires, so I was displaced for a while. Uh, then I went to Disney World for about uh, 10 days, uh, then the San Diego area, So, and then we had the holidays. So hopefully we're going to be back on our regular monthly schedule from now on. Uh, we have a lot to discuss today. We're going to be talking about the latest in the Marvel series of films, Thor Ragnarok, uh, DC's current attempt to take on Marvel, Justice League, Kenneth Branagh's production of Murder on the Orient Express, the almost assuredly drug-fueled holy flame of the martial world, and one of the goofiest slashers of the early 80s, Graduation Day. But before we begin, let's give a warm welcome to my guest host and creator of the B-Movie BFF's website, Kelly Hogeboom. Good afternoon, Tim. Good afternoon, Kelly. So, uh, d- did you enjoy watching uh, the films that uh, were forced <laughs> upon you? I I enjoyed watching all of them. I didn't uh, watch um, Holy Flame, but I watched all the rest. I will say a little a little spoiler. It took me three nights to get through Justice League. So so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I actually paid movie to see the money in the, in the theater. So Ouch. it's all on me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, well, we've got a lot to go over, so let's start. Um, How do you revive a series that's generally acknowledged as the redheaded stepchild of a multi-billion dollar franchise? Well, you shamelessly imitate one of the more successful ones, of course. This time around, the God of Thunder must battle his evil and heretofore unheard of sister to save Asgard, not to mention his side trip to Sakaar to deal with a mincing Jeff Goldblum and bring home the Hulk. Our hero is transformed into Bill Murray, dropping one-liners faster than girls' panties whenever Chris Hemsworth takes off his shirt. It's Thor and Hulk together as the new Hope and Crosby on the road to Asgard in Thor Ragnarok. Now I know what you're thinking. How did this happen? long story.
dead. What have you brought today? Tell me. A contender. It's main event time. each other. He's a friend from work. Oh, come on. Okay, Kelly, so uh, what was uh, your opinion of Thor Ragnarok? Well, I was... Um, so, so, of course, I come at all of these comic book films with no knowledge of the comic book world. I need to get that out there, whereas you have an extensive knowledge. So Thor, um, this was the third Thor film? Third in the whole okay. Thor series, yeah. Right, and um, there's been a few Avengers. I've seen them all. They just aren't um, separate movies in my brain. I enjoyed Thor Ragnarok. I liked their choice of director. Um, but there was a lot about it that, that fell a little flat for me. Really? Yeah, I I didn't find the Jeff Goldblum experience that much fun, and I thought they went an odd direction by making Hemsworth kind of like a clumsy Thor. That was, you know, like he's very charming and goofy, and um, that seems a little different than the Thor that we'd been seeing. But, right. um, you know, uh, he's cute. They cut his hair off. You know, I don't know. It was, it was a fun film, um, for sure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, I, I actually, I, I really like the director of this, uh, and, uh, what's his name? Uh, Taika Waititi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I like the direction they went with it just, just because frankly, in the past, the Thor movies were kind of dull. Right. Not because Chris Hemsworth isn't charming, because as you can see in this, he's very charming and, uh, um, he proves that he's got a, a, a flair for comedy. Right. And I thought that was great. And, you know, I, I guess I, I'm a, a Jeff Goldblum apologist. I, I love Jeff Goldblum and anything I've seen him in. And uh, he can do almost no wrong for me. But um, it was interesting. Now, I know you're not a comic book reader, but um, they, they kind of stuck in um, – the planet hulk storyline which was a separate storyline where with hulks uh, stranded on a planet there was like a warrior oh. planet and everything and okay um so I, it was it's an interesting film i think it's the best of the three hulk, uh, thor films just because oh, yeah. it's, it's so entertaining um but it it is it, it does feel like kind of almost like it's two movies put together yeah, I I think I have a I have a with a big blockbuster like this, they kind of have to telegraph where they're going to go with it for me. And so when they were on that Sakar, I kept thinking there were any second they were going to get back off Sakar, but that's kind of where a huge part of the film takes place. Um right. 
there i agree no i didn't mean to say like i didn't like it i think it was the best thor film um you've got your first female marvel villain by kate blanchett and she did really really well in this Oh, um, she's she's great. I thought she was like this, like, just super sexy. The first time I saw her, was that that's Kate Blanchett. Yes, yeah, wow. she, she looked great. She also had a comedic edge to her, which I mm. appreciated. Um, I I am not a fan of the Loki Tom Hiddleston. I don't find him cute. I don't find him appealing. But clearly, the really? fa- oh yeah, no, and so clearly the fans do. And he's you're gonna have to remind me. Didn't he like murder a bunch of people in the first one or two films? <laughs> He's murdered a lot of people. So how how do you in, uh, the Avengers? Right. So how do you redeem that? Like in my mind, I don't think it's so cute that he's like one of the heroes of this. It's very goofy to me. Well, I think that okay, this is just an opinion. I, I don't have proof of this, but I think what they're doing uh, with um, Avengers: Infinity War coming out in May, and Loki is in that. I think that what they're setting him up for is a heroic sacrifice yeah. death. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, this film also killed off um, Anthony Hopkins, finally, correct? He went out. He's gone. Yeah, he, yeah. It, it, although, you know, we still get, like, a uh, Jedi <laughs> right. uh, version of Odin. He went to the big uh, Odin state. Ghost Jedi. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> So, you know, and then, uh, so as you know, but your listeners don't, I, I try to avoid trailers at all costs. So I didn't know Dr. Strange would be paying us a visit. So that was nice. Oh yeah. I, I love that. Although, you know, it's majority of that was actually, um, at the end of, um, oh, what was it? Uh, the, uh, was it civil war? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. They oh, actually geez. used that as like the post credits tag scene. And I guess what they had done is they'd filmed it for this, and then they tagged it on there because they liked the scene so much with him, and like re- refilling his his uh, mug of beer, right, and everything. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's just it's another example though of Marvel kind of you know integrating all these characters to remind you that they all exist in the same universe, um, setting it up for Infinity War, which of course has got every single character, right. Uh, crammed into it which will either be the greatest comic book movie ever or like it'll just fall flat i don't know because you know there's always the possibility it's like wow there's too many damn characters that you can't focus on anyone yeah and Uh, another film we're talking about today has that problem too when you're trying to cram (laughs) yeah oh and uh and thor another thing i liked about it is we had a clancy brown uh voice um performance and i am a big clancy brown freak he, oh, I so, love Clancy Brown. Yeah, me too. So he played Sur- Surter. Was that the the demon? Oh, yes. Yeah, the, yeah. The fire monster mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Right. So. Um, oh, and just because uh, I usually state this at the beginning of the show, but I didn't this time. It, it, we, this is a spoiler podcast, so oh. you know if if you hear if if you're listening to this and you don't want to hear spoilers, you're probably going to hear them anyway. Right. Uh, right. So maybe you should watch the movies first. Um, but uh, yeah, I I thought. I thought that was great. I liked the ending. I thought it was very clever how he defeated uh, Hela. Um, that's her name, correct? Yes. Yeah. On her name. Yeah, Hela. Yeah. Um, and uh, it just it was more colorful than the previous Thor films. It just had a lighter touch. And, you know, I don't – I know it seems to kind of not necessarily mesh with the first two as far as the style of the character – but it just felt to me like it was kind of a necessary reset because I, I, I think 
if they're going to keep making solo Thor films, they've got to keep them a little lighter and a little more yeah. fun for people. I think the first two were a little, little too um, mythology heavy for people. Well, I, th- um, I think we've got so many superhero films right now, and this took it a light direction, like a buddy movie direction. There were some really cute cameos. We had, you know, Sam Neill and Luke Hemsworth and Matt Damon in the beginning with the little play that they're doing with Loki. Oh, and, right. Yeah. There were a lot of really cute um, kind of Easter eggs, and it was a fun film. I, um, I I definitely enjoyed it, Like, but I just, I guess I'm just not a big superhero film fan, really, when it comes down to it. They, they don't get me going too much, so. Uh, well, so then you'll really love the next one. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. So, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best and 1 being the worst, what would you give uh, Thor Ragnarok? For a superhero film, I would give it a 9. Wow, nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I would give it uh, an 8 because uh, I, I think they they really did what they had to do. If, to, if they're going to keep doing the Thor films, they... they they found a way to keep it entertaining instead of just running in place with the same same old yeah. same old. Yeah. Well, and good good choice of director again. I hope we see yeah. a lot more of him. I'm glad. And he brought a few. Um, oh, the I don't remember her name, but the woman who plays Jeff Goldblum's bodyguard. You know, um, she's oh, a right. yeah. So he brought some talent that otherwise probably wouldn't have be getting these fat paychecks and getting this exposure so that's just that's great um you know shaking up hollywood a little bit yeah i remember uh, the first time i ever saw her was uh she was a regular on veronica mars oh okay wow yeah um that takes me back <laughs> oh yeah um yeah marvel's been really good about getting interesting directors like taika watiti and um uh, ryan coogler for black panther and uh, John Favreau with Iron Man and mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I who's uh, did Ant Man uh, Peyton Reed right mm-hmm. yeah uh, so I I, th- I think they've done a good job of it I mean I know they pissed off uh, that one director who quit but um, <laughs> I think if you become a director of a Marvel film you you've got to understand that they're going to do everything they can to try and keep a certain continuity going and a certain uh, you know Marvel feel right. If you want to do your own arts art house film, you're probably going to the wrong place as yeah. a director. Yeah. <laughs> well, they've got a lot of balls up in the air, and they're, I think that this film they're they're juggling pretty good. So it, it was fun. So uh, let's see. Speaking of shameless imitations, DC has released the latest in its sad attempt to play catch up with Marvel. A group of disparate heroes come together to defend the Earth from beings from another planet. Tony Stark, uh, I mean Bruce Wayne, scours the globe to find superpowered beings to help him resurrect Superman and save the world from a CGI goon named Steppenwolf before he takes them all on a magic carpet ride to hell. Is this team born to be wild or can Super X Machina join them in time? All these questions and more will be answered in Justice League.
Arthur Curry. The Aquaman. It's on him. Organic and biomechatronic body parts. He's a cyborg. You should probably move. Barry Allen. Whoever you're looking for, it's not me. He's a Batman. He said the age of heroes would never come again. It has to. Superpowers again? I'm rich. One thing I can tell you is you got to be free. My turn. Come see you playing well with others again just like a bat i dig it maybe temporary Okay, so Kelly, now you, you said it took you three days to sit through Justice League. <laughs> Not only that, but I dragged my husband through it too. And like, <laughs> by the third night, he was not happy with me at all. <laughs> so this... yeah, yeah, he's probably wondering w- what he did to deserve this. Exactly. This was, a rough, this was a rough one to get through. Although not as um, excruciating as Batman v Superman, <laughs> I will say. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they brought in, they, they, they fired Zack Snyder, and they brought in Joss Whedon and asked him to do some rewrites and some reshoots. And I think when you're watching the final film, you can pick out the scenes that are Joss Whedon. Right, right. Uh, so- they have that um, kind of group uh, comedy right. dialogue, uh, you know, back and forth. And um, that made the Avengers so fun. But here with these characters, the characters are so flat and uninteresting for the most part that it, it just doesn't work. And it feels like a real, even though it's better than Batman versus Superman, it has a feel of, of a real too many cooks kind of a, a situation. And, <clears throat> you know, as, as we all know, ever since the success of the Avengers and the Marvel films, DC has been trying to play catch up. So they're trying to fast forward everything instead of having a series of maybe six movies before they make the Justice League. They just, oh, well, we did two of them. So here we go. Justice League. Yeah, you know? Right. And so you didn't get to know the characters at all. Uh, with Marvel, Marvel took the time, you know, with Iron Man and Captain America, etc., to, you know, introduce you to these characters get you to like them get you to know them and so by the time they come together you're excited to see what happens and they carried those characterizations over into the avengers and that was great but dc with the justice league i just don't know oh and and by the way giving the franchise to Zack snyder i think will go down forever as their biggest mistake yeah I'm, i'm hearing people say that for sure it's just 
<clears throat> every movie he does has to have that same bronzed, dark, uh, CGI look to it, where everything's against a, a, a chroma key, you know, a green screen, um, and it just everything looks phony. There's almost never a shot that looks like, unless they're like, say, like indoors, like in Bruce Bruce Wayne's, you know you know, Wayne Manor or something. Almost everything has such an artificial look to it. Um, <clears throat> and, and the CGI in this is terrible. Um, uh, yeah. Steppenwolf is, is probably one of the, the worst villains ever. Um, he's a CGI'd mess. And what and, a, what a waste of a phenomenal voice actor too. Oh, he's I, a great actor. Yeah. Um, step, I, when Steppenwolf showed up, I thought, I said, is this the real bad guy? Is this the <laughs> main one you know yeah where's the boss fight you know um yeah this film had i mean i i i could never make a film i can't imagine the talent it required however this film was just one problem after another i mean you have essentially five superheroes um you know wonder woman had a good movie that so we've got her she's got a solid background but then you are essentially introducing the flash aquaman and cyborg and you're kind of mashing them in together. And then you've got Batfleck, who is no longer sort of skulking. He's kind of like the little team leader rounding everyone up. And then they've got this real second string bad guy that you're supposed to be fearful of. I mean, it was just a mess. There was there was nothing good happening in this film. Yeah, the, the one of the problems is, I, again, going back to the, the comics uh, source, uh, you know, the parademons and the uh the the box the mother boxes and everything that are the motivation steph steppenwolf wants to get these because supposedly it'll help him open the the boom tube uh to apocalypse that'll enable him to take over the earth etc etc well uh in the comics steppenwolf is a subordinate to dark side dark side should have been the villain nobody knows steppenwolf nobody cares about steppenwolf i don't know why they went in that <laughs> direction um, Darkseid is DC's version of Thanos, who's the villain in Infinity War. Although, even though Darkseid did come first, technically by, like, I believe six months or something in the comics. But, <clears throat> um, it's, he's a non-entity. He's just your standard, uh, I'm gonna take over the world villain. Right. There, There's no shading to his character. There's no sense of humor to it. Um... And so, you don't you don't care. Also, I don't feel there's any feeling of um, of urgency to the film where like where you worry. Oh, I wonder if this character might die. You don't feel that right. at all. That's true. I don't really, at least to me, I didn't feel like any of the characters in it felt like they like they could possibly die. Well, and you've got some. So you, I mean, so for personality, you've got the Flash, and his personality is what that he's fast and he eats a lot of pizza. And he's an edgy teen. I mean, that wasn't much. Well, yeah, the the, the yeah. Okay, uh, the the Flash was has always been my favorite character since I was a little kid, and yes. this this is nothing like the character in the comics at all. Uh, he's not some little nerd living in his basement or whatever with you know computer stuff. It, it that's uh, so that so, annoyed so the they were trying it. to catch the millennial audience maybe with this because I don't know anything about the Flash, but you know to me he just seemed like that that teen um, comic relief. You know there was nothing much right. to his. You know um, his dad's in jail and he's sad about it. Um, 
And then, you know, what has Wonder Woman been doing for the last 70 years? Nothing. Yeah. Just She's just been being sad that um, Chris Pine got killed. I mean, that that yeah. that fell real flat, that she would just be kind of that still thinking about that 70 years later and doing nothing with her life. You know, that was, eh. Well, you know, the, the, the thing is, is that, again, she's still the best part of the film. Right. Um, even, even, even though, I mean, they don't give her as much to do as, as they would in her solo film, but she's still the best part of the movie. Um, I still feel that, that uh, Affleck is Batman. If, <laughs> if somebody would give him a good script and a good director, I bet he can make a great Batman film. Are they are they trying to put um, Batfleck and Wonder Woman together as a couple? Because it kind of seemed like they were, and that made me throw, uh, up, throw up in my mouth a little bit. I don't think so. I, I just think that they were kind of like okay, with you know, in the comics they've always made it that the triumvirate is Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Okay. And they you know like gather the Justice League together, and since Superman's dead at the beginning of this, I I, I think they're just oh a, a duo. <laughs> And okay, but, uh, so <clears throat> you know, I didn't know anything about this film, nothing. And we started watching it, and I said, Superman's dead? And Ralph, my husband, was like, Yeah, they killed him in the last film. I'm like, That's right, that's right. And yeah, which I'd forgotten because I don't care. But um, so, <laughs> so then, so then my husband, he proceeds to tell me the story about Henry Cavill's mustache, and I, yes. I started laughing. Like I could, I could not believe that was a true story. <laughs> yeah, I, like... honestly, I, okay, I, I can't believe I waited this far into the podcast to talk about the mustache. <laughs> uh, so I, apparently, when they they'd finished principal photography, Cavill went off to do another film, and then he got called back for reshoots. But the film that he had been previously working on, he had to have a mustache. Yeah, it's like a it's like a Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's Mission Impossible 6 or something, isn't it? That's, that, yeah, yeah, that's right. He's in the new Mission Impossible. <clears throat> and um, so they wouldn't let him shave it. So for his reshoots in Justice League, they they, they CG'd his, his mustache out, and it looks ridiculous. I mean, he's it, already an unusual-looking guy. And yeah. then to have a fake lip, I mean, that it, was freaky. It's <laughs> weird. It's like he has like a like a huge septum or uh-huh. I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's the weirdest looking thing. And, you know, even people who don't really, you know, understand special effects or, or whatever will look at that and go, Whoa, what's with his face? Yeah. It was pretty distracting. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And the, the best part of the story for me is that you can go online and find pictures of him before they CG the mustache out. So He's just standing there looking like Superman with a big porn stash. <laughs> like it's oh, like I the... love it. Uh, to me, that's fantastic. They should have I, left I, I it. I wish they'd done porn stash Superman. <laughs> right, because, like, didn't evil Spock have a goatee? And, like, yeah. yeah, they just need the evil Superman to have a big stash. Like, <laughs> I'm with it. Yeah, it, well, yeah. <laughs> or add a beard or something. Well, you know, know, in the comic books, when they had the death of Superman, he was killed by Doomsday, when he was finally resurrected he had long hair and a full beard right because uh you know he technically wasn't dead he was in a suspended animation or something like that so i wouldn't have minded if they had done that yeah i think and then you just have to shave his 
stat or you know um, CGI his stash out for just a couple scenes at the end, right when he when he gets right. better or whatever. But no, that was um, that just feels like a huge um, snafu, really, at a with a film yeah. with a budget this big. You know, it, it's <laughs> the thing that's really odd about it is that they they went you know you spend so much money on a film like this and then to do something like that and it, it and, and also with mission impossible again that's a huge budgeted series right you're telling me they couldn't have come up with a fake mustache for his final scenes i guess if they don't have to they're not gonna and um i mean i don't know if it's a contractual thing yeah or that's what i'm thinking but i mean i don't know enough about films but i also yeah. i mean the way my partner explained it is that this, <clears throat> this was a because of the director right. problems um they had to do the extensive reshoot but yeah. uh what a what an embarrassment <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah and, and then you got cyborg you know who's who you know we've never met right the only time we saw him was in batman versus superman in that absolutely asinine uh thumbnail sequence where we saw here here's 10 seconds of each character right um, and so I didn't feel, considering his tragic backstory and origin, we really didn't get much to work with with him. No, I mean, the actor has got a lot of charisma. Um, yeah. He had that going for him, um, but he didn't have much going on. Um, I had to laugh because wasn't the actor playing his dad the same guy who um, who built the computer yeah. in Terminator 2? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, <laughs> so, he's responsible for Skynet. It's like, listen, dude, don't play with cyborg <laughs> technology. But... Um, yeah, I you know Cyborg. He was he just didn't get enough, like you say, enough of a story and enough dialogue. Uh. Yeah, I I think that once again it goes back to the not building up to the film. So you're trying to uh, you know come up with character moments for a whole bunch of characters, and in an action film, if you don't have, and this is why the Avengers was so successful. If you don't have uh, any build up with learning these characters and their personalities and their backgrounds then you try and do like a cliff notes version yeah. when you cram them all into a film it just doesn't work yeah i agree with you there and you know yeah. same with aquaman i mean yeah um you know when i first saw the photo of aquaman a few years ago um i was right. of course laughing because we all know what aquaman looks like and then to have this er right. erotically terrifying jason yeah. momoa uh, which was so exciting, but so then you know he was he was also squandered in this film as well. He has no person. His only personality is that he drinks whiskey and chucks the bottle into the ocean, which I don't think he would do that. Erotically terrifying, definitely. <laughs> uh, Ad yeah. Admit it, Tim. Admit it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what the, the whole thing was. How do we make Aquaman not suck? Yeah. Well, they went to they. Went they really dialed, yeah. dialed it up to 11. I was like, well, I was hoping we'd see him in yeah. some little green spandex and a, what, what does he wear? Yeah. He has like a orange shirt or something. It's, well, it's supposedly gold chain mail. Oh, thank you. Okay. So. Yeah. Which chain mail underwater. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's magic. It's Atlantean chain mail. Yeah. So, um, yeah, everybody, uh, like people online are like, are referring to him as aqua bro. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, you know, um, it's, and something for the ladies and some of the men, you know. Sure. Uh, and then we have, so here's another thing I thought was funny about the film. They have yeah. this Russian family, right? This little right. Russian who's getting threatened by the Steppenwolf and his horde. 
And the film kept going out of its way to make sure you knew that this one little family was going to be saved. And I can't help but think that that was a response to the whole Man of Steel fiasco with how viewers responded um, to the, you know, callous loss of life in that film. But I I kept thinking, what is the significance of this family? (laughs) Like, why do we care so much about what happens to them? Well, yeah, they establish it. They make you think, okay, there's a payoff coming, right? (laughs) Right. Maybe there's something special about this family like maybe one of the kids will end up <laughs> right. like growing up to be some superhero like kind of like an easter egg right or something like that no no they're just some family they right just they're like they it. help them push the truck or something i that was distracting i was you literally yeah. see these this family on and off for like two hours right and then it's just like oh thanks for saving us and that's it and that that horde wasn't scary at, at all yeah, the parademons. Yeah, is that what they're called? Yeah, they they're were called parademons. Yeah, they're um, like the stormtroopers of of winged uh, demons. They're just they were. Right. Yeah, we had that um, mind hunter actor though at the beginning. I thought he was going to be in the film more. Oh yeah, um, yeah the 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 whole the whole storyline is taken from uh, Jack Kirby's Fourth World uh, story uh, from. Uh, the early 70s at DC um, with the, the – he, he created uh, several comic book series uh, including, you know, uh, the the Forever People and um, – what the heck was the other one? Um, oh, Mr. Miracle and a couple other ones. And they were all interconnected, this whole thing, uh, you know, his own self-contained universe called the, um, the Fourth World and – uh, you, you know, he had Darkseid with his parademons, and he had several minions, Steppenwolf of one of them. And so it could have been interesting, but it's just not. It, it's 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 really flat, and like I said, it smacks of too many cooks. It's just, yeah. um, it's it's a dud. Um, so uh, what would you give this on a scale of 1 to 10 there? Probably? Oh, gosh. <clears throat> Um, I am too nice to give any big budget film anything, <laughs> anything less than a four. So that I'm going to say four, a, okay. a, a for effort and D for everything else. <laughs> I don't know if I'd even give it an A for effort. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have to give it a three right. um, because it, there's elements in it that I like. I, I like Affleck. I like Gal Gadot. Um, I, I think they're fine, but everything else i i it just doesn't work for me and i i I think it's a mess and i feel like somebody at at warner brothers dc needs to just say stop scrap everything start over a matter of fact wait a couple years (laughs) you know give us a breather come up with you know a fresh take that maybe is a little more faithful to the source material because that's one of their biggest problems that they've had is that they Unlike Marvel, they just kind of look at, oh, yeah, it's Batman, whatever, and then they don't go in, put any attempt to really, you know, be loyal for comic uh, readers. And so they, they just come off as hollow Im- imitations, and I, yeah. I just... Well, and, uh, and, and, if, and if they're letting down the, the comic fans, but then for those of us who are just wanting to see an, an action film, they're also not providing us with anything that you know that's that's a pretty big fail you know yeah exactly you lose the comic book base that's pretty much the the starting point for you and so it kind of screws you that way um okay so moving on jerusalem 1934 
world-famous detective Hercule Poirot boards a train return to England, little knowing that adventure and murder await. Johnny Depp does his best De Niro impression. In other words, it sucks. But it does him no good as he ends up stabbed 12 times. Before you guess that he was killed because of the Lone Ranger and Yoga Hosers, think again. With an international cast of mildly interesting characters and the most idiotic mustache you'll ever see in a major motion picture, it's going to take more than Poirot's little gray cells and shitty CGI landscapes to solve the murder on the Orient Express. Would you mind if I join you? You're the world-famous detective, Hercule Poirot. Avenger of the Innocent. Is that what they call you in the papers? And you are innocent? <laughs> You're fun. A passenger has died. He was murdered. The murderer is on the train with us now. And every one of you is a suspect. <laughs> so, let us catch a killer. A man was rummaging around my cabin in the middle of the night. You are certain it was a man? I know what it feels like to have a man in my bedroom. What did you think of the dead man? You leave her out of this. Did he have enemies? Pick a number. The real killer is right here. One of you people. We're surrounded by lies. I'm sleeping here, where everyone can see me. And I can see everyone. Who takes up the knife? Cannot trust no one. Another one? So... Uh, as you can tell from my synopsis, I hated this film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am a huge Agatha Christie fan, and uh, I love Hercule Poirot, and I've seen all the different versions. Um, and to me, nobody can top David Suchet. Oh, and yeah. I'm with, I'm with you If on you've that. ever read any of the Poirot novels and everything, you will see that he is physically... Everything about him is pitch perfect to the character. And mm -hmm. he actually said before he started taking on the role, he read all 81 novels. Wow. Because he wanted to get every aspect of that character right. And he wanted to get every nuance, everything right. And I read something that uh, Kenneth Branagh was like, oh, yeah, I wanted to, uh, you know, make sure I approach the character with reverence and respect for the character and the source material. And, you know, and I'm like, really? Because if you watch this movie, you get the impression he's never read a Poirot book in his life. So, you know, I'm not, I don't mind people reinventing a beloved character. I mean, we've seen it with Sherlock Holmes a mm. lot. I mean, I don't, I don't mind, but, um, and also, how could you possibly mm. compare with David Suchet? He really has nailed it. Oh um, yeah. You know, uh, I think of Kenneth Branagh as a total hammy, uh, all eyes on me and look at how I can do it. I mean, oh, yeah. his Frankenstein is like one of the most unintentionally comedic um, versions of Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. So, you know, 
I I I didn't mind his performance, but I certainly can see how you would find it completely irritating or even offensive. Well, here's the thing. Too. I, well, first of all, I've never really found Murder on the Orient Express to be one of the better novels. Oh, right. But uh, because it's literally like um, the final third of the film is all the summing up. And you're like, oh, my God, how just tell us who did it. <laughs> You know, like if you've, yeah. if you've seen the original with Albert Finney, which I which is like a two-hour film, literally the last forty minutes are him summing it up, and you're like, forty right. minutes? Holy crap! Uh, at least with the Suchet one, it didn't seem to take that long. But um, no, I, I feel that. I mean, they got some decent actors in there, but uh, I thought Michelle oh, Pfeiffer yeah. was the, dreadful. You know the. I wouldn't have watched... I don't like the actual story of Murder on the Orient Express. Right. Um, the, you know, I mean, obviously, huge spoiler. This is a spoiler podcast, but, you know, everybody did it, right. um, which makes... By the way, it's pretty easy to commit a murder if everybody helps you do it, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, I just I just don't like the source material that much, although I, I'm a big... Po- you know, I've seen all of Suchet's Poirot, what, 70 episodes or whatever. Yeah. Um so especially going into it the second time, I knew the, um, you know, the punchline. But I really have to say that was quite an ensemble cast that they pulled together for that, um, which I think they were a little squandered. But I, I couldn't believe how many people were in this film. Uh, big names. Yeah, but did, did you uh, feel that any of them really stood out? Because I really didn't. No. I feel like they were all squandered, really. Yeah. Um, Especially, I mean, I'm a I'm a big Willem Dafoe fan. I mean, huge. Oh, he's and he, he exactly so, um, and of course, I love I love Derek Jacoby. Right. I love um, Judy Dench. Mm. You know, so it was kind of like getting to see some pretty people dressed up. Oh, and there were some beautiful shots in this film. Beautiful <clears throat> shots in this film. You know, the first scene where they're boarding the train, yeah, and it's following him along the train. That was masterfully done. So, you know, there was, um, and the costumes, you know, I'm a tailor, so, but yeah, there was, and Johnny Depp was horrible in this. I mean, he's only in it for a few minutes, but. Oh, he um, chews the scenery. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Not as much as Brano, but. Yeah, well, and, and Michelle Pfeiffer. I mean, she is yeah. so over the top that it's obvious that she's, her character is being theatrical. Right. You know, with, right. oh, there was a man in my room, you know, this is like, right. What? There's no right. subtlety to any of these performances, and, and and honestly, I still am wondering what the hell Josh Gad was doing in this. Uh, so he's the only name. I'm just. What else has he done? Well, he's a stage actor. He, yeah, well, he's done Broadway, and he 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 tends to do comedy. Uh, okay. He started out, I believe, doing the Book of Mormon on Broadway. Okay. Okay, and he was wasn't he uh, one of the Disney films? Yeah, he was the voice um, of Olaf the Snowman. Olaf, Frozen. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he was doing something different, I guess, with this. So, Ugh. yeah, in, because it's such a big ensemble cast, and because it's such a silly plot, <laughs> none of the actors get very much time. They they get just a few um, sort of monologues or scenes with Poirot. Um, uh, so what did you think about the ending? Because if I remember the original, you have to correct me uh-huh. here. Doesn't he decide to turn them all in no. originally? Okay. No, that's so, consistent. 
Okay, so was that... I, I thought I remembered Suchet turned him in at in the Poirot no, television. at the end, oh. Suchet was just... Uh, they, they really played up in that one the fact that, that Poirot is Catholic. And, right. And um, they <laughs> ended basically with... He, re, he, he was like, well, you know... Wh- the, it, was it really murder or was it justice? Okay. And he had well, to so- reconcile that self that within himself... <laughs> And he walks away like just like absolutely devastated because it's right. not what he wants. But on the other hand, he knows that it's, they're essentially good people. Well, and he'd be sending so many of them. Of course, the, you know, if they if they went to court, it, there would probably be a lenient judgment. You know what I'm probably. saying? So, um, OK, that's funny, because in my mind, they all went to jail. But um, OK, <laughs> thank you for the correction. So, uh, so OK, I, I have to bring this up because it drives me. We just talked about a mustache. Uh I th- this mustache is just idiotic. It, it, it he looks ridiculous. It, it, okay, and, and never in my life have I seen. I've seen different Poirot ad- ad- adaptations and stuff. They've never done anything like this with the mustache. It, 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 he looks like a walrus. Uh, yeah, I mean that was definitely him saying, "I'm making this my right. own." You know, um, yeah. So um, <laughs> I just. Uh, Oh, okay. As far as like this is me as a as a Christie fan getting really just irritated. There's so many things that Poirot does in this that he would never do. For instance, uh, he steps in. You know, he he makes a lot of snotty comments, and I don't think he would have done that. Poirot you know, very he was polite. very very polite. You know, very direct, but very polite. And he does a bunch of. Um, you know, kind of skewers, uh, yeah. and I found that off-putting well, for sure. Well, there's a sequence where he steps in shit, and <laughs> then he's like, "Oh, well, I've got to step in it with the other foot so it's balanced." No. Yeah, no, he he would not he have would done that. Do no, that. nobody would do that. It yeah. would freak okay. him out because he's a total neat freak. He's an OCD neat freak. And it's yeah. the same thing with him, like walking on the top of the the train. Ugh, you right. know, they made. Right. Many times they've had references to the fact that he is, he hates the outdoors. He hates nature. Yes. He's very fastidious. He's very, You're right. Very fussy and everything. So it just, just, it just wasn't, this just wasn't the character and it just didn't work Just be glad. Just be glad we didn't have the greased up um, abs that Robert Downey Jr. brought to Sherlock Holmes <laughs> because, um, you know, seriously. It's funny. <laughs> you mentioned that the Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr., um, I enjoy both of those films, but <laughs> it's not Sherlock Holmes. That's yeah, the way I feel well, it. like, it's not. It's just it's some the other same, character because he's there's it's nothing the same, about him that's like Sherlock Holmes. Well, and I like I said, I, I don't mind a reimagining, but both Holmes and Poirot were extremely polite. They weren't, you know, arrogant jerks. And I feel like our films have enough arrogant jerk cops, you know. <laughs> so I kind of like the original, you know. Uh, polite. That's what sets them apart, you know. So. I think a lot of it has to do with the era in which they were written. Yeah, you know, yeah, very perhaps. much the, you know, the English drawing room, the gentleman, you know, thing. Right. The British are so polite about it. It's like, oh, there was a murder, oh. right? That's one of my favorite films is um, Dial M for Murder, and everyone in that film that's trying to get away with their, or murder, they're just so polite to each other the whole oh, time. Oh, yeah, Ray Milland, so. he's, he's super polite. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he's my favorite. Guy mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah. you didn't like it. What, yeah. would, what would you give that on a 1 to 10? Oh, jeez. I mean, are we to... 
as like a television movie or a real movie or I mean this is kind of uh I I'm gonna give it like a six okay uh I I have to give it like a four because I I I feel that they were given something and they didn't do anything interesting with it Uh, even though like I said I don't feel I feel like they just use that because they think that's the most famous novel or something yeah, it wasn't the best um, mystery to pick. Uh, maybe it is the most notorious, uh, I guess. So, well, yeah. yeah, and apparently they're doing a sequel, so they're doing they're doing Death on the Nile is what I've heard. Okay. Yet okay. another one they've already done. It's like, how about picking a different book? You know? Because um, one of the ones that was, like, really famous and is a great story is The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, which, right. you know, they did with Suchet. And I would love to see a big screen adaptation of that one because that really pulls the rug out from money with, with the ending. And I'd love to see it, you know, but oh, well. <laughs> uh, OK, so now let's take a break and hear from a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. stand right away for delicious orange crush and all kinds of good things to eat. Oh, the time is now, the time is here. Now's the time for a bite of cheer. A tasty life where the price is right. Well, look at here, you'll dig this sight. The moment's handy for a piece of candy. Just name your brand, they're also brand. Hey, what do you think of a nice cool drink? Or a big box filled with a popcorn thrill. Let your taste buds meet with an ice cream treat. Refresh yourselves, it's time to eat. So come on, folks, let's join the band as we all head for the refresh band stand. <clears throat> Okay, it's time now for the Retro Rewind, our monthly excursion into the dark back room of the video store. Yin and Two are separated as siblings after evil grandmasters kill their parents over some ancient TV repair instruction manual. As time goes by, they're reunited and vow to get revenge. Armed with their new superpowers, including the hilarious ghostly laugh and the even funnier snake bladder ray, they pursue the all-powerful Holy Flame secure in the knowledge that they now have possibly the silliest power base of all time. Can Yin and Tu defeat the Jin Yin all-girl academy of super hot virgins and avenge their parents? Will Golden Snake Boy lend a hand or just sit and watch like a huge pussy? And what the hell is up with that green mummy anyway? Well, one thing's for sure, you've never seen anything quite like Holy Flame of the Martial World. Sabani 
一对圣火灵两代家嘅姻缘。师傅系边两个杀死我父母啊？争斗一触即发，佢唔知我姓梅，武林星火灵。Yeah, it, it's funny. I mean, it starts out like a standard Shaw Brothers thing, where you've got the the, the twins that are separated, and uh, <clears throat> uh, their parents are murdered for this this spe- this special document that this group of villains all want. And uh, then we cut to the f- uh, the present day, um, and they're you know they're both eighteen, and eventually they're reunited. But there's you know little bits of training and stuff that we see and everything. Okay. Um, what it comes down to is there's a there's a weapon called the Holy Flame, and <clears throat> for some reason there's actually two of them. They don't really mention that in the legend in there, and yet and they find <laughs> it out later. One is for the Yin, and one is for the Yang. Okay. And one is blue and one is uh, orange, and <clears throat> there's a sequence where our, our our young hero goes into this cave. It's very Indiana Jones-ish. He's got to go into this cavern to retrieve the holy flame and go through a series of uh, obstacles and tests and everything. And it is hysterical. I mean, it's funny, but at the same time, it's visually cool. It's a it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, he goes into this big cavern, and there's all these gigantic um, Chinese characters on the wall, and they just start flying at him like, you know, like boomerangs or whatever. And he's and he's got, of course, all these odd uh, fighting abilities that enable him to like hover in midair and flip around mm. and and whatnot. And um, then when he finally gets to where the holy flame itself is. Uh, there's, it, it's being held by a skeleton holding a book that, that looks like it's kind of waving at him right. with this hysterical smile on its face. And so you're like, okay, I, I'm rolling with it. And then there's a cult that kidnaps uh, his, his uh, girlfriend, and she, they're going to try and sacrifice her to revive this green mummy. Uh, which is a guy in uh, uh, an all green full body suit with just eye holes. A gimp, a a gimp suit. Hole. Yeah, I'm looking at the mummy's suit. Uh, it looks like it also has some Chinese characters on it. Um, but yeah, yes, it looks sweaty. It looks like a sweaty banana hammock type of a thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he was just dying <laughs> doing the martial arts and that thing. Um, <laughs> and so eventually, you know, the twins reunite and they've both got the two different holy flames. And they're able to defeat, you know, the the bad guys. And the best thing in the film is this: <clears throat> the mentor for the young man has this superpower called the ghostly laugh. Mm. And it's literally him sitting cross-legged on the ground, and he holds up both of his each of his hands to face the opponent, and just goes. <laughs> <laughs> And he does that like for like two minutes straight. Okay. <laughs> that... And as he's doing that, winds pick up and everything starts blowing up. He basically can kill you with this laugh. That sounds great. Sounds totally oh, not hysteric. annoying. It, it, it's absolutely hysterical. And then the the one girl gets bitten by a serpent that gives her what, what they called snake bladder powers where she can shoot rays out of this 
just her one finger. Okay. Perfect. Because, <laughs> you know what? Snakes snakes right. don't have more than one. They have just one finger. You know, we all know yeah. that. So uh, is this is the holy flame this thing that I'm looking up? It looks like a oar, like a paddle. Yes, uh, okay. it kind of looks like, like the end of an oar. Okay. Yeah. Does, do flames shoot out of it or anything cool? Uh, yeah, well, they, they learn at the end when they finally confront the people who killed their parents that if they combine the two, mm-hmm. it shoots this powerful ray that kills everybody. Okay, good. And so all I can tell you is like if, if you haven't seen it, seek it out. I, got, I actually bought it on video because it was just so fantastic. I think it's on YouTube. Yeah. And I think I actually saw it on Amazon Prime as well. Uh, it if you want to watch something that's really silly and but <laughs> but well mounted because the Shaw brothers spent money so they, they it's you know the sets are really fantastical and interesting and colorful and you know beautiful costumes and everything mm-hmm. it makes no sense whatsoever but it is a lot of fun to watch um, i whenever i do these things and i review them i mean i give them two ratings one is movie like quality of movie making and then actual entertainment value mm-hmm. and this one i actually would give it like a, like a seven for quality and then entertainment value i would give it a nine okay because it, it it's both it's so entertaining and, and how did you come to pick this film did you read about it online or uh well you know i i was a couple of years ago i have this book that's uh hong kong cinema and uh, I, I read about it, the synopsis of it, and I was like, I, I have to watch this thing. I got to see it. And so I saw it on Amazon, and I just bought it. Okay, right on. And I, I thought, okay, this would be a, a perfect thing to show people or get people to watch because it, it, it's it, – the, the Chinese cinema has so many examples of just really uh, over-the-top stuff that Western culture doesn't get. Sure. Uh, it, like for instance, like anytime if you ever seen any of their vampire movies, uh, vampires are uh, the way they get around is they hop like bunny. <laughs> okay, <which laughs> sounds is, scary. <laughs> which is just as hilarious as it sounds. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> so uh, you know you, if you ever get the time, you know. All right, I'll have, to, I'll have to check it out. It looks it looks like the type of film I'd be watching, and my kids would walk in and take a look, and then look at me, and then walk right back out. So. <laughs> Well, you can always get that one friend of yours that you torture with slasher. Oh my gosh, we're tonight we're watching the room together and I'm thinking about oh, I'm thinking about faking my own death. I just do not want to have to see it again, <laughs> but that's what she picked and I'm dying. <laughs> so, oh. Well, Lisa is so beautiful and I love her so much. I, I made her watch um, our next film graduation day uh, last week. Oh, so, good. yeah, she enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so finally, we come to the cream of the crop. The cherry on the top of this cinematic Sunday. Oh, who am I kidding? The final entry in this month's Retro Rewind is a stinker of epic proportions. There's a killer on the loose at Midvale High. Laura Ramstead is collapsed after winning the 100-meter race. But who cares? There's parties to attend and other events to win. Laura's sister returns from the military only to find that Laura's 30-year-old high school teammates are dropping (laughs) like flies. Who's the bland, costumeless killer? Is it Doris, the horny mean girl? Is it the principal with his random collection of knives? Or maybe it's the coach, Christopher George, still struggling to maintain some form of dignity. 
It surely couldn't be Laura's ex-boyfriend, right? Oops, cat's out of the bag, but who gives a shit? As long as the infuriating earworm gangster rock has bored its way into your brain and young Vanna White lends her stellar woodenness to the proceedings, there's no way you'll ever forget. Graduation day. There are 200 seniors at Midvale High and seven days till graduation. class of 81 is going out in style, and they're having the time of their life. It's been a great year for Midvale High. The track team finished first in the state. Then again, Midvale always produces winners. Sally Prescott is the top gymnast in the school. She plans to go to college in the fall. Paula Kastoff won five cross-country events in the past year. She jogs to school every morning. Ralph Johnson is the football team's star halfback. Pete McFarlane set the state record in the pole vault. Tony and Dolores were king and queen of the prom. The class of 81's being fitted for caps and gowns and coffins. There's 200 seniors at Midvale High and seven days till graduation. Too bad there'll be no one to celebrate with. Graduation day. Yeah, so, okay. <laughs> I'm going to start with you since you got to torture a friend. <laughs> this film was fantastic, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. So, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. Um, you know, a lot of slashers are just so misogynistic and awful, but this was kind of, you know, kind of a lighthearted slasher film. So I had I had no trouble getting through it. And well, the gore is minimal. It's poorly done, is what you mean by that. Oh well, that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the first murder is a jogger, correct? Oh yes. And she she's jogging, and we have a scene. Well, the first murder is arguably. Let's start with that track meet. Okay, we've got okay. a we've got a track meet, and it's. There's a bunch of sinister uh, synthesizer music, you know, and they're oh, yeah. showing it in slow motion. And then they're they're doing these quick jump cuts to the audience who I have never seen anyone that revved up at a sporting event. They're they're gnashing, <laughs> like foaming at the mouth. So, yes, yeah, so, high school. Yeah. yeah. Or just in general. I mean, so, yeah, the, the sprinter drops dead. And so it's implied that there's foul play. But very quickly after that. We flash forward, and the sprinter's naval ensign um, sister is hitchhiking back to her hometown, right? And that's when we see a jogger, a, a high schooler jogger, as it turns out, get her get stalked and get her throat cut. And my point, my point is that throat cutting scene. I was like, 
what what's supposed to have happened there? It's like an inch of blood. I'm like that that was supposed to be a throat cut. Like that was no. Oh, I know. It's like she's fine. It's just a scratch. And you never actually see her throat get cut. What no. you see is a shot of the hand with the straight razor, and then it goes down, and they cut back to her, and she's got that little line on her yeah, throat. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty tame. You know, and that's yeah. it. And also, I mean. Have you ever stalked someone where you're you're running? Oh, all the time. Okay, with no. you're <laughs> running with your hand in front of you with the stopwatch. Yeah, yeah, yes. So, oh, this was hey, first ten minutes of the film, I was like, this is great, this is awesome, <laughs> and then of course the um, the Navy sister is kind of the Patch McKenzie, right? The actress that plays her. Yeah. She's she's supposedly the sort of central um, character of the film. And because and she disappears for yeah, chunks of time, right? Well, while we focus on the lives of the high schooler track um, team who are getting picked off one by one, so yeah, I um, I absolutely had a great time watching this one. Um, <laughs> so you know more about Giallo film than I do, but yes. to me, this this is just like slasher kind of owes its whole um, everything about it to the Giallo films you know because you've got a, yeah. a bunch of mostly women but you know people getting killed usually by stabbings or some kind of a um, bloody you know demise and anyone could be the killer right they make pains to show you that you know the coach um we've got a coach in this what was his name uh christopher george yeah so he's like constantly screaming like he's about to have a heart attack at any moment he's an on-edge dude so he oh, yeah. he could be the killer, and then they show the principal. Um, he's got a bunch of straight razors in his drawer. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then they've got the sister has what does she have? Like some sweats, right? Like maybe she's the yeah, killer. Yeah, they show the the, the killer's got like sweat pants, right. a sweat suit on or something. Right. So they keep they and I think of that as like a giallo film, right? They keep saying it could be this guy, could be this gal, you know that kind of a thing. So yeah, I think the the. The, the Jalo obviously was like a big influence on the American slasher film. Um, the difference really between the two was that the Jalos were almost always a mystery, uh, whereas like in you know a lot of slasher films you had stuff like Jason or Michael Myers or something. Um, but also in the Jalo, the killers were uh, the, the the victims were usually adults. Right, right. American ones were almost always teenagers. Right. Or, you know, old. That's teenagers. true. Yeah. Uh, and but yeah, <clears throat> um, now I, I got to ask you about this one scene because I was watching. First of all, I was dying laughing, but second, I was like, I can't wait to, to talk to Kelly about this. Um, so the first time we see the sister from coming back from the Navy, she's getting a ride from this sleazy guy right. driving a pickup truck, and he goes and he sticks his hand on her leg, and she's wearing a skirt, and he starts moving his hand up her leg. And she says, move your hand. And he's like, oh, come on. I'm a taxpayer. Right. right. <laughs> You're missing the best part of that scene was where it was when he calls her a lesbo. Oh, yeah, so, lesbo <laughs> exactly. So I, first of all, I hadn't heard lesbo in, a, in about 20 years. But secondly, for the rest of that night, my husband would be like, can you get me, you know, can you get me another taco? I'm like, no, get it yourself. He's like, what are you, some kind of lesbo? <laughs> like, <laughs> like. Now, usually in 80s film, we hear a lot of um, the F-bomb, you know, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we got Lesbo in this one. And I was, it was refreshing. It was a refreshing change. So yeah, that, that took me back to like high school. Oh my gosh. High. That was <laughs> yeah. like the big word was Lesbo. Yeah. And so you know, since she's like in the Navy, that somehow that's going to be relevant. And towards the end of the film, her, her quote fighting skills come into play because she has to fight off the killer. Right. Right. So uh, very unconvincing fight choreography, I might add. So that was terrible. Uh, so <laughs> let's <laughs> let's talk about gangster rock. It's oh, <laughs> awful. <laughs> the never-ending song. Oh my gosh! Which, by the way, is almost ten minutes long. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It just it's constant alternating between musical bridge and the chorus. And that was so so, and it sounded like a terrible just bar bad bar blues. And the band, which I think they're called Felony, they they actually, Felony. yeah, they went on to have some hits. The band looks kind of new wave goth. It, they don't right. match the song. But Oh, yeah, it doesn't match at all. Like From the look of them, you think, oh, you're going to get... Like The Cure. You know, maybe something like Soft Cell or right, something. Right, right, yeah. And the, it's and just the yet- shitty, yeah, no. And that, so that scene is going on at a roller skating sort of party. Oh, roller skating. And it's flashing back between the horny Dolores, played by Leanna Quigley, who I love. Yep. Um, and she's she's gone off with some boy, I think a high school boy, uh, and they're starting something in the woods, and they both get stalked. And this this scene was so great because the special they're like, you know what, we really don't have good special effects, so we're just going to shoot this in near darkness. Like, yes, you can't see. It. I'm like, did someone get their head cut off? Like, who just got their head cut off? But yeah, yeah, the, yeah, uh, the 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 boyfriend gets his head cut off, and she finds his head. Right. Um, well, you know the thing that's interesting about that scene. Uh, um, <laughs> Nothing is yeah. interesting about that scene. <laughs> okay. uh, well, her. Uh, Linnea Quigley, um, she was originally not in the film, right? But they wanted um, a, a different one of the the girls. I forget which one. I think it might have actually been the one who gets killed first. Was originally supposed to have a nude scene because they're like, well, we've got to have nudity because that was like, you know, thanks to Friday the Thirteenth, that was the you know the ingredients were boobs and blood, right? And <clears throat> she wouldn't do it and so they they talked to her and you know said hey we we need this and this scene and so she volunteered to do it right she's like sure (laughs) so So, yeah so they just like they just crammed her character in because they needed more boobs so that was it the best there's a better part to that okay so later in the film we find her head dolores's head blonde yes and it's a head made from that original actress who quit and so it yes. doesn't look anything like Leanna Quigley. Yeah. And uh, that's because of this actress swap out. Because uh, you're like, whose head is that? And, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, who is that supposed to be? Yeah, and the murders were not great. I did like the murder of the boy who does the pole vault. He, oh, yeah, on the spikes. On the spikes. but he, So the spikes were embedded in the pad, I guess. But then later yeah. his body turns up and the spikes are still sticking out of his Yes. I was a little confused. <laughs> There, so. <laughs> just like how did he get him out yeah and then uh, i don't know pretty much the only <laughs> that's that standard slasher film oh, too you've got to have where they find the bodies of all their friends kind of thing yeah they all fall out of the closet or whatever and pretty much the only character that they didn't hint um might be the killer is the killer right it's the boy ex-boyfriend right right i mean the only thing they have him do is like they like where he's got she goes to his house and finds he's got like the photo albums 
uh, of his, of you know pictures of his uh, her sister with like the the medallion thing in it, like or the necklace. Yeah. And then they have a whole psycho reference where he's um, right. He's got the somehow he squirreled away the body of the sprinter, his girlfriend. That actor, did you look at that actor's the work he's done? He's been in like four films. Yeah. um, But one of them was the New World, that Terrence Malick film. Oh my god! It's so random. He's been in a bunch of some eighties shit, and then all of a sudden he shows up in. And the new world, oh, very odd, but um, that's funny. Yeah, it was funny. Oh, so <laughs> one of my favorite bits is there's a scene where there's there's like three girls. I believe one of them is Vanna White, and they're just watching the music teacher play the piano and sing, and they're so horny. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> As he sings, he belts out Broadway show tunes. You know, and, and he's wearing this horrible polyester oh, leisure suit. You know and what? Like, oh God! And and they all leave except for Leanna Quigley. She takes off her top and you know yes. uh, presents herself to the music teacher. And then you had the principal who was sexually harassing his administrative assistant the whole time. And her yeah, her on her blondie. That's her name in the film. Like I looked it up. So <laughs> I, someone watching was like, "Does anything appropriate happen at this high school?" It's like nothing appropriate. Yeah, so, yeah, Vanna White, she plays Doris. I, she barely has any lines, um, you yeah. know, so she's barely in it. And uh, Yeah, you have to really look for it because yes, she, she looks so young. Yes, she does. Um, um, she's there when they find uh, the one girl's body in the locker. Right, right. Uh, the one who was uh, skewered with the uh, fencing foil. While she's shaving her legs in, this, yes. in the sink, which I, okay, all right. But she's wearing a sweater and panties. No, yes. no one does that. Like, that doesn't make sense. So, yeah. Yeah, that whole sequence, like, she's, like, balancing on one foot. And she has her other foot up on the sink. And she's shaving her. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean. I, and by the way, if somebody's coming at you with a sword, do you just stand there and go, hey. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing? What's up? Where, where are you going with this? Yeah, so this film had a total alien factor vibe. It, to me yes. like just including the the really shitty um band playing a song for 10 minutes in the middle of the film like oh god was, that thing that just that <laughs> song it just goes on and on yeah <laughs> and every time you think it's over they, yeah. they just loop it yeah. and it keeps going and you're like oh my god and they actually did this i saw i found this on youtube they did this song felony did on american bandstand oh geez those poor those poor viewers yeah. Oh God! Could you imagine? Because it's not really a, a dancing song. It's yeah. It's just a shitty blues song. Yeah. Yeah, with lots of piano in it, and then you got the <clears throat> that whole sequence with with Mark the killer, where he's he's just jamming down on that that uh, harmonica. Oh God! <laughs> while they're singing some song like what are they? What's it called? Like uh, the graduation day blues oh or my, something? Oh my! Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> that's you know when they have these. The twenty-five-year-old, thirty-year-old actors playing high schoolers—it's just—it's just rough. It's hard to watch. Yeah. yeah. No, it was. Um, this was the. I I would watch slashers and talk about them with you like every week. I love them, um, <laughs> and uh, I love torturing my friends and family with them too. So this was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it it is. 
uh, you know, it's funny. I bought it, and I it, it is just I've watched it so many times. <laughs> it's just such an, a cheese factor yeah. to it. It's so entertaining. Uh, there's another one that I'm going to do on a later podcast called Final Exam uh, that was put out on Blu-ray by <clears throat> Shout Factory. And they restored it, and it looks beautiful. Oh. It looks brand new, and which is so funny because when you watch it, you're like, why did they go to all the right. trouble for this piece of crap? Yeah, but it makes a difference. Um, you know, it I, it's exciting to watch a, even a really poor film with a great restoration. I, I mean, I love it. So, <coughs> yeah, this oh. is great. And of course, I um, in our chats while we were revving up to do this film, I I could remember one I'd seen that I finally identified, which is Hide and Go Shriek. And you and I have to watch that one together. I think you're gonna oh, <laughs> just love it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Is that is that eighties? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. um, and I saw it when I was gosh, like way too young to have seen it. I think I was like eleven or twelve, and I think okay. it's a pretty nasty one. Um, I think it's nineteen eighty-eight. I think yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Awfully, that's late in the slasher genre. Oh I mean, my that's god, it's probably and like I said, I haven't seen it since. I just remember the end scene, and oh my god. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, graduation day still a better film than Justice League, but <laughs> so. it cost like a, like about as much as the catering budget oh, for Justice right, League, probably. Right. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> So, uh, one to ten, what would you give it? Okay, a serious you- a serious rating. It's like a it's like a five. I mean, but you know, entertainment value. It's like a nine. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. I think I think uh, actual movie make. I mean, it's competently made, <clears throat> but it's just it's so workmanlike. Um, so I probably I would probably give it a five. And entertainment value is definitely like a nine. Uh, if you like, uh, if you like eighties cheese. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's definitely up there because I mean you've got the you've got the clothes, you've got the music. Oh, and, and the don't forget is, the hard boiled Italian cop. Oh wait, no, he's Lebanese. <laughs> what oh, was yeah. what was that all about? That uh, they introduced towards the end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, struggling to maintain some kind of dignity um, after this <laughs> in pieces. Um. <laughs> pieces, pieces. One of your favorites. <laughs> oh god, I love it so much. Uh, <coughs> uh, so yeah, that that wraps it up. Um, uh, so uh, now I can actually I reveal my guest appearance um, on the delightful Just One More Thing podcast. Uh, host John Morris, R.J. White, and I discussed the 1990 Columbo episode, Columbo Cries Wolf. Uh, I had a great time, and I hope you'll check it out. They really run an entertaining show, and you can download it on iTunes, or you can go to their webpage at citydesk.net and listen to your heart's content. And uh, you know, <clears throat> give them uh, give them some good reviews on on iTunes, and because uh, that that helps them out. Uh, also, I wanted to issue a shout out to the lovely gents of the Strange and Deadly Show uh, podcast on iTunes as well. Uh, Chris Clayton and Tom Elliott put out an entertaining, informative show about the video nasties that were subject to banning in the UK mm. in the early 1980s. Uh, they also started a, recently a new series called Lost in the Omniverse about superhero films, most notably the Marvel canon. Uh, I love their shows. I think you will, too. <clears throat> uh, as always, you can reach out to us at moviemorg1 at att.net. Uh, you can tweet us at the Bitter Bastard Twitter page at lynchmob17. 
And check out our Facebook page for updates and other fun stuff. Uh, we're going to be launching the Bitter Bastard site coming soon. And we'll keep you apprised of that when it comes together. Uh, next time, we're going to be talking about Star Wars, The Last Jedi, um, Black Panther, the Sam Raimi-inspired Intruder, and Werewolf and the Yeti starring the fantastic Paul Nashi. So stay bitter, and until next time, remember, with great power comes great responsibility. And we'll see you next time.